what is up heart soul humans welcome back to another week of the podcast this week we have a special episode for you something a little different than we've done before unfortunately neil and i since neil has gotten a new job and my schedule has changed we have been having a lot of trouble finding time to record together which is sad for you guys it's sad for the podcast and it's also sad for me and neil because we use this as time to catch up so sad violin music playing in the background uh, imagine it because we don't have the rights to it so let's get creative <laughs> so this week we wanted to stay committed to putting out content we know that we had a bit of a lapse there when i was out of town over the holidays and things like that uh, and we want to continue to bring you guys content as often as we can and hopefully quality content and because of that with that in mind we know that Putting out solo podcast after solo podcast is not as fun of an experience for you guys as listening to Neil and I banter and talk about each other's hair, voices, and butt cheeks. So we are going to do something a little special this week. So this week we are doing, I don't have a clever name for it. So imagine that I thought of a clever name and then laugh and be like, oh my God, oh my God, Zach, you've you've done it again. You clever son of a bitch. Uh, but this week, what we're doing is I'm going to pose a question, or I've posed a question to Neil. And what we're going to do is that I am going to answer the question as I think Neil would answer the question, and then I'm going to give my answer to the question. Similarly, Neil is going to answer the question the way he thinks I would answer the question, and then he will answer it in his own way. We're not going to be able to hear each other's responses before uploading the podcast. The whole point is that we're going to splice the or splice the audios together and then give them to you guys. And we're going to listen to it together for the first time and see how close Neil and I got to predicting what the other person might think uh, the other would say. So without further ado, we will get started. Uh, this week's question is along the lines of, what is the importance of community and how do you go about growing community and nurturing that community once you've grown it? A little bit of background for this question. It's very small background. I was spending time with my family over the weekend. It was my stepmom's birthday. And so I was in town visiting my folks and then my aunt and uncle came into town. And so I spent a lot of time with my family. And prior to that, I've been spending time with a small cohort of my friends from medical school. And it's it's been interesting seeing the way that we've all changed over the course of the last three years from our, our first and second years as preclinical students to now our end of our fourth year, having seen a lot of patient interactions and the way that the medical system has shaped us, being reintegrated into that community in a different way and seeing how everybody's evolved and grown and the ways in which we've all nurtured that community as we've as we have moved forward um, with our lives. So I'm going to start with this question. Again, it is what is the importance of community and how do you grow that community? How do you nurture it? So I will start by answering like Neil, and forgive me, I'm not going to be able to do the sultry, silky whiskey voice, but uh let's get started with it and see what is going on here. So First, for the value of community, I feel like Neil would say, I'm trying to figure, I really want to do this in a way that Neil would, I really want to say words that Neil would actually say, but I'm probably going to have trouble with it. I feel like Neil would pretty much tow along the line that community helps you grow. It helps you mature. If we think about 
anthropologically, if we think about like thousands of years ago when we were in tribes, you couldn't you couldn't grow even physically, let alone spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, what have you, if you weren't in a tribe, if you weren't in a group, you know. So he would probably say something like that: that community helps you grow. Um, in in like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs way, you need a community to actually survive to take you from being a a child and growing up safely to adulthood, but also from a spiritual perspective, the relationships that are involved in community help you grow at a soul level. And he would probably say something along the lines of everybody's soul plan around community is going to be different. And I'm actually doing like the head movements that he's doing right now. It's going to be different. I don't know what he would say about the different perspectives of, uh, of what the different communities might look like, but, um, I feel like you would say something like that. So it would help you learn. It would help you grow. And the touching side of Neil, which is most of Neil, he's a very obviously open-hearted man. He would say that community gives you something to live for. I feel that, I mean, you can look at Neil right now. His job is to grow communities. That's what he's doing uh, for his work. I know we haven't talked about his work a lot on the podcast, but essentially he's responsible for community development. Um, in a very large gym. So I feel like Neil values community very highly. And you can see this with the way that he engages with the heart, soul, human community. You can see with the way he engages his family, with the way he engages his work. His life is about, in many ways, building and sustaining community, whether he realizes that or not. I'm not sure if he realizes that. I'm sure he does with his work, obviously, but he might not even see how much in the other areas of his life he's been able to do that. So I think that he would on some level believe that community gives you something to live for. And I personally also believe in this as well. So how do we, I don't know how he would say to grow a community. He would probably say you would grow a community by being authentic and by taking chances, by putting yourself out there, letting yourself be seen and trying to meet other people at that level, like where, like to be authentic, but to also meet people where they're at within that authenticity. And he would say, that's probably not going to be for everybody. You know, you're not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's going to take a lot of balls or something like that. Um, yeah. And so in order to sustain that community, Neil would probably say, and I'm I'm saying this based off of what I've seen Neil do in terms of the way he engages people and the way that he engaged me when we first met. He would say, you have to help people see their potential. You have to see people for who they are and what they can become and help them grow into that, help them see that, help them believe that because not everybody believes that about themselves. And you have to hold them to it, hold them accountable to it. But also, because Neil always gives caveats, he would say, but at the same time, you have to think about the other side of it. <laughs> you got to know when to throttle back. You got to know when to give people space. And then he would say, Zach, you know that when you give me advice, sometimes I'm like, fuck you. And then I turn my phone off and won't text you for several days, <laughs> which he doesn't do anymore. But um, he's very open to feedback nowadays. But <laughs> he would definitely say that you see people for who they are. You hold them accountable to doing the best that they can do at any given moment, knowing that that's not going to be actualizing their potential every single moment, but that holding them accountable to their integrity, but also knowing that sometimes pushing on a person too much or trying to hold a person accountable too much 
can have the opposite effect. So sometimes you need to learn how to give them space and give them space to grow. And from this, I wrote soil to grow. So I feel that Neil, in the way that he engages in friendship and the way that he engages in family and community, he provides a really nurturing, emotional and psychological soil for people to grow into. Sorry, I just literally scraped <laughs> this flashcard that I'm using against my microphone. So I basically did a little, um, I'm going to do that again. It's a little uh, postcard fart. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, actually, I think the first thing, even you know, to to hold the community together, obviously he would say all the things that I just said, but I think he would actually probably lead off by saying the best way to grow and keep a community is to have a fat daddy donk. <laughs> I think that would be the first thing you would say. I really do have that fat daddy donk. And he would get so wrapped up in making the joke that he would just then look at me and be like, I've lost everything that I was supposed to say. Can you please carry the conversation? Oh, <laughs> uh, Neil, I love you. Um, let's see. This is the next thing is something that I feel that Neil and I would both both really agree on. I wrote it on both sides of the po or uh, both sides of the flashcard because I think that he and I would both strongly agree to this. And that is that in order to grow a community, you have to have aligned values. Now, from my personal perspective, the higher, like the bigger the community gets, the more generalized these values become, I would say. Whereas with communities like your friends or your family, these smaller communities, the values can be more numerous and more specific. You probably have more specific values between you and your best friend and also probably more shared values between you and your best friend than you would within a group of 200 people. For example, if we were to use maybe an example from Neil's life, he's building community in Marin. He's building community through the gym. So the gyms, so that community's aligned value would be health. And I mean, community in and of itself can be a value, right? So Health and connection, I guess, would be probably those values. They're very broad. They're very nonspecific, but they keep people glued together towards a relatively common goal. Whereas between you and a best friend, like for example, Neil and I might have shared values such as disseminating information that helps people in their emotional and psychological and spiritual growth. Very granular, but very granular, very specific. And we have an idea about how to do that. So we have a podcast together. Um, plus all the other values that keep us together just purely as friends outside of the partnership that we have recording the podcast. Um, so I think aligned values is something that's very important. In order to have a sustainable real friendship with somebody, you have to have aligned values because without aligned values, you don't really ever get to develop actual intimacy. It's like there have been plenty of people in my life where and this goes both ways where, for example, I've met somebody and I'm like, wow, this person's super charismatic. They're really fun to be around. I want to get to know them better. And when I was younger, I used to get kind of enamored by it, like in the sense of like, oh man, that person made me laugh a lot. Or we we made each other laugh a lot. Uh, we had a really good time hanging out at that party or meeting at the gym or whatever. I really want to get to know this person better. Maybe we'll be friends. And then I would get to know them even a little bit better and be like, oh my God, I have nothing in common with this person other than we have a similar sense of humor, um, which isn't for nothing, but you know, essentially I have nothing, I have no values line with this person. I don't want to spend any time with this person outside of a group setting. Uh, and since I've gotten older, I've realized that 
there have been many people I've met in my life where I don't necessarily get along with them super well the first time I meet them. We might be polite, we might be cordial, we might have a decent conversation, but uh, there's nothing like that stands out as incredibly special. And then I get to know them a little bit better because they're kind and I know I don't feel judged around them or whatever it might be. It's kind of a peaceful connection. And then I'll get to know them better and be like, oh, wow, this person shares a lot of deep values with me. I can be very real with this person. And then I'll end up having year-long friendships, if not at this point, lifelong friendships with a person like that. And so at this stage in my life, and I know I'm answering this as me right now rather than as Neil, but I figure while I'm on this topic that he and I will both agree on, I'll just tackle it while we're here. (laughs) I've learned over the course of my life that usually the more, not the more charismatic, but like the more fiery a first meeting is or the first couple meetings are with a person, oftentimes like the less stable that relationship is going to be, whether it is a platonic or a romantic slash sexual relationship. Whereas the relationships or the people that you meet where you have kind of this steady peacefulness, like they make you kind of feel calm. They seem non-judgmental. They seem open-minded. And this might just be for me, but I think generally speaking, if you talk to people who are in love with a partner that they have been with for a long time, they'll usually say, you know, I've had other relationships that were really passionate and really fiery, but there was nothing stable to really ground into. And so the relationship naturally burned itself up. Whereas this relationship, when I'm around this partner, it's not the most dramatic relationship I've I've ever been in. It has fire in it, but it's not the most fiery relationship I've ever been in. But this person makes me feel safe. They make me feel at peace around myself, around them and with myself. Uh, And I think that that is oftentimes a hallmark of, uh, of true quality, of true value of true values being aligned. The same thing is true within our within ourselves, with our own relationship to ourselves, our own inner community, so to speak. We have those parts of ourselves that are very erratic, spontaneous, perhaps even chaotic, and very fiery. And these are very valuable, true parts of yourself that you need to that you need to express in healthy ways. But this part of yourself is not necessarily like the quote unquote true self. It's not necessarily the soul self. The soul self, the higher self, the true self is usually a very quiet, peaceful, calm part of yourself. That's why meditation and stillness and presence are so important in order to develop intuition, in order to develop gifts, because your true self doesn't, you know, it knows itself so well that it doesn't have to prove anything. So it doesn't have any desire to shout over the dross of the rest of your mind the part of you that's anxious, the part of you that's spontaneous, the part of you that's chaotic. It's like, I'm just going to wait for you to decide that making decisions based off of those voices consistently and letting those voices rule you is not getting you the life that you want. It's not getting you a life that you're satisfied with. Eventually you will come find me and I'm, I'm willing to wait. I'm patient. And I think in the same way, like the best friendships and the best communities are built in the same way. There are these people who don't need to prove anything to you, right? They're non-judgmental, they're open, and they're fairly peaceful. Um, yeah, so anyway, that was a bit of a tangent, but <laughs> I think that that ties up uh, with that part. And then finally, again, right, since we're since this is Neil we're talking about, there would be a final caveat because <laughs> Neil's all about balance, uh, and that usually comes in the form of caveats. He would say, Now, I think big communities can be awesome, but I feel like a big community can be too much for some people. It's not necessary for some people. He would probably say something like, a community that's too big can kind of wash out individuality. A community that's too big 
can lead to problems in one way or another. And he would probably say something like da 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 da. And then he would say, but on the other hand, he would give a caveat to his caveat where he would say, that could just be some people's soul, soul path, right? You know, who, who are you and I to say? He would probably say that some people are meant to have these really big groups, that some people are meant to kind of get lost in that community, that some people, uh, yeah, are, are meant to maybe even at some point lose their voice inside of a community and kind of fall in line with that, right? That's a very valuable experience to have. Um even though it can cause problems. Similarly, he would say some people are meant to have very small communities and be very, very introverted and very like, not closed off, but just like, just very quiet um, and self-reflective and to have a very small community. And some people, there's something right in the middle, right? And he would probably relate it to soul growth. So, <laughs> so that's kind of what I think Neil would say about all of these things. Um, <clears throat> helps you grow, helps you learn, gives you something to live for. Uh, help people find their potential, hold them accountable to it, but no one to back off, have a fat daddy donk. That's number one. Um, have aligned values and then understand that different size communities and different engagement in community can be good for a person or bad for a person, depending on their soul path is kind of the summary that I would give for Neil. Now, <laughs> time to move to good old Zach Daddy Donk Kaufman, as uh, Neil would say. So <laughs> the way that I value community, uh, I think that, or I think that the value of community is that it can lead to a longer life and an open heart. So I was actually talking to my aunt about this and she was talking about what she referred to as blue houses. I think it was something that she had heard about from like a documentary or something like that. I think the nomenclature is probably similar to that of blue zones, which in longevity research, a blue zone is basically an area or a geographical region where they have the highest proportion of centenarians or people who live above the age of 100. So similarly, I think that a blue house in terms of like research and academia probably refers to homes that have generations of people who live on average, like longer than the average, I would say, right? And so she referred to these blue houses and she was saying that people who live in homes where all three generations congregate frequently have longer lives. So the grand, like, for example, let's say the middle generation, like the parents, quote unquote, have a home. They frequently have the grandparents over to spend time with the kids. And then, you know, maybe the families have parties together. Everybody gets together that these families tend to have every every generation within the family tends to have a longer lifespan than the national average or like to to the average for uh, generation matched individuals regardless of whether or not they enjoy spending time with their family <laughs> it's super interesting but just the idea that being around people who love you who are loyal to you um and that you can trust whether or not you necessarily enjoy their company or that you feel that there's relatively low friction will lead to a longer life now i don't know what study this was, I haven't seen the documentary that she was referring to, but this is just what she said in a, in a conversation we were having, which I found very interesting. So take it with a grain of salt. It's secondhand or maybe even thirdhand knowledge um, at this point because it was a study in a show or a documentary seen by my aunt and then told to me. <laughs> but either way, it's super interesting. And intuitively, it makes sense. Um, you know, there there is definitely an onus, especially for me as somebody who's going to be a physician here in a few months to cite data 
and just make factual statements. But at times, you know, I will always give a caveat if it's not something that I know for certain is a paper I can cite. I will tell you that. And I will say it does feel intuitive to me that that would make a lot of sense. That community is incredibly important. We're social, we're social animals. Um, and so it makes perfect sense to me. From my own experience with community, it leads to a much more open heart. Um, and for those of you who listened to last week's episode, there episodes, I guess, since they were it was split in two about my my life lessons or whatever, kind of my life review leading up through my Saturn return. Um, I talked about my family setting. Uh, at least I'm pretty sure I did. I, I recorded two different versions of it and published the second version of the early life. But essentially, I had a fairly large family where all my aunts and uncles and then my grandparents and my uh, my cousins, we would all get together for family parties like every four to six weeks. So I definitely had in some senses like that blue household type of situation going on as a kid. And so community was huge for me, like seeing my family telling jokes, laughing, getting together, eating food, playing, all of that stuff was so incredibly important. Um, and is a total facet in my life. Like community is one of the biggest things that's important to me. And I notice that whenever I'm in community, when I'm around my family, for example, even if we're arguing or even if something is not going according to plan or where there's some friction or some tension or everybody's tired or whatever, I still feel like I have an open heart. I feel so peaceful and so at home. Um, I just feel totally loved. And I know that's not that's the case for everybody. I know that's not the case for everybody, but in my experience, community, be it family or even like the communities that I've created amongst friends, I feel again, like I have an incredibly open heart whenever I go visit my friends, uh, when I'm back home or whatever, or what have you, it always feels like, uh, for those of you who cry when you watch like really emotionally intense movies and after you cry, like your heart feels lighter and you're like, Oh man, that was really cathartic. I felt like there was a weight on me emotionally that I didn't even realize was there. And then once I cried, I felt lighter. That's kind of how I feel after I've engaged with community. So that's definitely a big value of community to me. And then I also think that at least personally, it gives you something bigger than yourself to live for and to believe in. So a lot of people will have something bigger to live for than themselves. And it might be your country. It might be your state. It might be a team, like a football team that you like root for or something like that. It might be your church, your religion. Um, but ultimately all of these things signify a community, right? A nation is a community, a state is a community, uh, a group of football fans are a community, a church is a community. I think that your community on small or large scales gives you something bigger than yourself to be a part of. And frankly, if you think about it from a spiritual standpoint, we really are all one thing. As humans, we're all one species. We're all actually one organism. Uh, and from a spiritual standpoint, we're all one being, God seeing itself through many individuated eyes uh, or many individuated perspectives. And so it it does give you, you are a part of something bigger. It really is all you. But I think that's something bigger than yourself to live for really is like when you live your life for something bigger than you, for a purpose that's bigger than you or a community that's bigger than you, you are more akin to your spiritual essence because you your identity is more expansive than just yourself. You identify as the community rather than as you. My cousin actually said it to me probably best 
uh, in a way that was just totally dropped into conversation randomly. And <laughs> it, it really struck a chord in my heart. It was very wise. And it was something that I just didn't expect to come out of his mouth necessarily, because we were just kind of having a random conversation. He was referring to how one of his old friends is constantly trying to get him and his group of friends to hang out together, but to have these like boys nights. And my cousin and a couple of his friends have wives and have kids now, whereas this other friend is still single and kind of playing the field, so to speak. And my cousin goes, well, hey, bud, like I do, we all want to spend time with you, but it, it feels like it's always about a boys night with you. And the friend goes essentially something along the lines of like, well, I just want to, I just want to see you. Like I want to spend time with the boys. I want things to be in some ways the way that they used to be. And my cousin said, you have to understand that I am my family. And when he said that, it just totally rocked me. I was like, holy shit, this is a huge sign of growth and development. And it was also something I just never quite thought of it that way. Like I always thought, okay, yeah, you have a family, you love that family, you have a sense of duty to that family. But for whatever reason, it never connected with me or clicked with me that you might even identify as that family. You are your family. And I think the same thing is true of, of any of any community, but in a smaller sense. Family is obviously the most intense sense of that. So that's all the value of it. <laughs> we can get into a little bit of how to grow it and how to sustain community. Um, I feel like I've been really fortunate in this area of my life. I definitely have multiple groups of friends that I've sustained for many, many years. I think at the at the minimum, about three and a half years, and at the maximum so far, about close to 20 years. Uh, some of my oldest friends are about been in my life for about 20 years. So the biggest thing, I think, is that people want to see, want to feel seen and valued. We float through our lives largely dissociated from ourselves, from our bodies, and from our lives because we're just really trying to check things off the list. Well, I have to work to pay bills. I have to pay bills to survive. And doing the things that it requires to pay these bills is really boring. It's really monotonous. And we're in a constant sympathetic state. So in some ways, we dissociate from ourselves. And in doing so, kind of dissociate from our communities. And all it takes is a moment of connection to snap somebody right back into themselves. You might be at a grocery store and you're in the produce aisle, you're in the produce section and somebody sparks up a conversation with you and you both laugh and then go about your days and you feel like enlivened, you feel invigorated, you feel happy. At least this this is the way that I feel when something like that happens or you go to the cash register and you're talking to the person and you have a real conversation and a real connection, you feel better walking away. I like smile when I'm walking away from those interactions. I feel connected to something. I feel seen, I feel valued. And I know that the other person does as well, because in many ways, we don't see ourselves. In many ways, we devalue ourselves. And in many ways, our communities or our culture does that to us. We become means of production rather than individual humans with living you know, living our, our dramas and our stories. So doing things that make people feel seen and valued, and really that can just be as simple as making sustained, not creepy, but sustained eye contact with a person being very present with them. And by that, I mean, not focusing on what you're going to cook for dinner later, what you're going to do for your workout later, the way that your face looks in the conversation. Are you making a weird facial expression? Are you 
you know, uh, talking too much or you're not talking enough, blah, blah, blah. Like getting rid of that self-consciousness and being totally present and listening to what the other person is saying makes them feel incredibly seen. Um, from a yogic perspective or an embodiment perspective, you can even feel into somebody. Now, this is something I would probably do in a more intimate situation, be that like a close friendship or a partnership, but to almost like feel into the person's heart. You can almost imagine that your heart is connected to theirs or that you both have an aura around you and you're kind of like feeling your aura into them. Um, and in many ways that can, that can also make a person not just feel seen, but feel felt, uh, and that, that can have a profound effect as well. It's one thing to feel like somebody sees you as an individual who is unique, um, and, and different from everybody else around you. Cause we all are. And it's another thing entirely, although both are valuable, it's another thing entirely to get the sense that somebody feels what you are experiencing. That is a, a high level of empathy, and it is really profoundly healing for people, even if you don't know the person that well. So that is that is definitely something seen and valued, but also felt. Again, I already talked about aligned values uh, and deep intimacy. And then I think that sustaining a community, and I'm going to talk about this more from the perspective of friendship, but sustaining a community is in many ways about understanding a love language, like understanding love languages for everybody in your group and understanding your own love languages as well. So for me, the way that I have sustained my friendships is by just really touching base with people. It's been really simple. I think that getting a friendship off the ground is the hard part. That's where it takes all, that's where it takes most of the energetic buy-in, so to speak. But sustaining a friendship doesn't actually take a ton of energy as long as you're not letting it crumble and then having to rebuild it again, right? But keeping it maintained at a certain level or even deepening that intimacy a little bit, it's actually not as hard as many people make it or seem to make it. Uh, you know, all of us are, are adults, I assume here. So we all understand that we have busy schedules and it's not like you're a teenager anymore or in your early twenties and you can hang out with somebody multiple times a week. Like most of us see our friends who are nearby once a week at best, <laughs> oftentimes bi-weekly or, or monthly. And our friends who live even just a couple of hours away, we probably see them once a month, once every two months, maybe even once every quarter. And just basically the farther away a person is, the less you, you tend to see them. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't touch base with them. And so I think the skill that I talked about in the previous point, which was learning how to feel into somebody is actually incredibly valuable, even at distance. So like with your friends, just kind of like feeling like, oh, you know, the energy in this friendship kind of feels stale or it feels like it's diminishing and then touching base with that person. So I don't have like a regimented, oh, I got to call this person every week or I have to call this person every month, but I'll just be like, oh, hey, it's been two or three weeks since I've talked to this person and I miss them. And I trust that when I miss them, they probably miss me too. You know, there's probably a connection there, right? If I haven't talked to somebody in three weeks or three months or something, and I feel like zero emotion about that, it probably means that the other person also feels zero emotion about that as well. If they were longing for my attention or for my praise or for my energy, I would probably feel on some level a longing in reciprocation to that. You could call it psychic. Really, I think we're all just, you know, we're all a lot more intimately connected than we think we are. So if I feel like I miss something, miss something, miss somebody, or I'm longing for somebody's love or affection or attention or whatever, 
I'll reach out to them because I know that they're probably longing for mine in addition or in kind, I should say. So just being able to touch base with somebody. Now that is, um, that is one form of love language, right? I think let's, let's walk through the love languages so I get them right. So there's physical touch, words of affirmation, gift giving, um, giving, um, there's like what quality time, right? And then there's one other that I'm missing. People are probably shouting it at me, but I can't, I can't hear you through time. So calling somebody really in many ways is quality time, but depending on the way the conversation goes, it could also be words of affirmation, right? You're not going to get physical touch out of it and you're probably not going to get gift giving out of it necessarily, but you can definitely do words of affirmation and quality time. Um, and you give a person a chance to feel uh, heard, to feel seen and valued, right? And to, in many ways, probably to feel felt. And then at the same time, if you uh, if the conversation calls for it, you can give words of affirmation. So you're kind of checking off two love languages at, at once in that. And really, it's just a matter of touching base with somebody. Like it doesn't actually take that much to sustain a good friendship um, with people who are both fairly accountable to their emotions. Now, for your in-person friendships, the ones that you don't have to like actually call people to get a hold of, that you can just say, like, hey, let's meet for coffee. Hey, let's get a drink. Hey, let's go bowling, whatever, whatever your your bag is, let's go for a hike. Um, there might be other things that oh, acts of service. I think that was the other one that I missed. Um, then you can do other things for that person, right? It could be, hey, you know, come over to my place, I'll make us dinner and we'll hang out, we'll watch a we'll watch a movie. Um, it's acts of service and it's quality time, right? And then maybe words of affirmation with the conversation. Or maybe a person responds really well to physical touch. Like maybe you have a friend who just likes to be hugged, right? Or just likes a pat on the shoulder when they've shared something vulnerable and having coffee with that person, listening to what they're saying, and then just giving them a pat on the shoulder or just grabbing their hand across the table or whatever it might be, you know, it it could be as simple as that, but really just like learning, learning to read a way that a person feels most, uh, most seen and felt and valued. Um, you'll see those responses in people. If, if you, you know, not, we're not all incredibly intuitive, that's fine, but we all have the basic hardware to see and feel when a person responds positively or negatively to something that we do. Um, you don't have to be incredibly sensitive to that, to notice, right? If you are getting to know somebody and you put your hand on their shoulder when you're saying something to them and they recoil a little bit or they tense up, they probably don't like being touched. That's fine. (laughs) You know, then don't touch them. Um, unless they, you know, unless they go for a hug or something like that, if you clap them on the shoulder and you feel them, or you see them seeing them take a deep breath, feeling them relax, like, okay, this person likes physical love, you know, learning how to read a person's love language. If you've cooked them food or you've bought them a coffee or something like that, and they seem really happy, they seem really pleased. Um, they feel really open in conversation and they maybe feel or seem more vulnerable then you know, okay, this is something that matters to this person. I can give them more of this and it it just, you know, makes a difference for them. And it doesn't take that much, right? You don't have to buy somebody a yacht, you know, you don't have to craft them a fucking ice sculpture. Buy your friend a coffee every once in a while. Make your friend dinner every once in a while, right? It's a little things. Pick your friend up to go, you know, to go to brunch rather than meeting them at brunch. Like that's a small act of service. It could go a long way. I'm basically doing a lecture about love languages right now, <laughs> but, but the whole point is like, be perceptive to people, but that, but being perceptive to them and understanding what they might want or need in a relationship doesn't mean that you have to go beyond your boundaries to give that to them. 
And similarly, you have your own love languages that you respond to. Don't expect other people to cross over their boundaries to make you feel like loved and, uh, or to make the, the relationship have to work. For example, like I have, I'm, I'm very physically affectionate. My family was very physically affectionate. We're big huggers, you know, we're big, like arm around, arm around the neck when we're sitting there talking to each other type people. So I really love to hug my friends. I really love to like put a hand on people's shoulder when I like say something affectionate to them, like those types of things. I have friends that don't like that. (laughs) That's okay. Like I don't expect them to go out of their way to hug me. I don't expect them, like I don't go out of my way to touch them, right? Um, There's like a boundary there. So I guess that would probably be the thing that I haven't written down on the card is that learn how to respect people's boundaries. You know, (laughs) that's probably a big one. Um, And this is the same in any community of any size, like respecting a person's boundary, making a person, um, again, right? This all goes back to feeling valued. If somebody disrespects your boundary, you don't feel bound, you don't feel valued. So there's all that. Um, Let's see. I really went on a hard rant about love languages right there. I don't have anything else written on the card, but to summarize, I'll say for the 18th time, help people feel seen, help them feel felt if you're, if you have the capability to do so, help them feel valued, touch base with people whenever you feel called to do so, like trust your intuition. If you feel a a pull of affection towards somebody they probably feel something similar to you, reach out to them. If you feel like a stifling in energy, like something is wrong, you could even reach out and just say like, hey, I was thinking of you um, or you know, or whatever. Whatever feels appropriate for that situation, you can reach out and, and check on things if things are okay. If you feel no energy there whatsoever and you don't have any motivation to reach out to a person, trust that, that they're doing okay and they're probably busy and preoccupied with their own things. And then take that energy and put it into a different relationship or a different community or into yourself, you know? Um, but sustaining a friendship or sustaining a community, uh, at least a small community, doesn't actually take as much energy as you might think it does. Um, it certainly doesn't take as much energy as building one. Um, and then ultimately have aligned values um, or aligned goals. If it's like a large community, like a workplace community, having aligned goals, which stem from aligned values that will keep a group of people together. Um, and then in friendships, deep intimacy, uh, in friendships and romantic relationships, right? We, we hear intimacy and we tense up like our buttholes pucker a little bit when we're thinking about it in a platonic way, but intimacy can literally just be like, Oh, I know this person's quirks. I know their likes. I know their dislikes. I know the way that they think about problems. I know the way that their feeling states respond to different forms of adversity, right? Like you can get all this just through being around a person a lot, um, hearing them when they tell you how they feel, <laughs> you know, uh, or just feeling them when you're around them and you see adversity uh, call their name. Um, that intimacy is is cannot be overstated, frankly. Like being around a person that you're that you feel understood by that you have like an intimate relationship with you could be in total silence with this person sitting across the room from one another but if you've built an intimate relationship with that person you will feel safer just being in that room with them and that goes a really long way people will gravitate towards that towards that buoy in the storm um or that lighthouse really in the storm um when that when that comes so anyway 
I hope this has been a fun episode for you guys. I think that mine is probably going to end up going first, as you probably are hearing now, since I've done the intro. And next up, we have Neil pretending to be me. Enjoy. What is up, my heart, soul, human friends? So I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. You got a little taste of Zach being Neil, then Zach being Zach. Now you get a little taste of Neil being Zach. Then you get some Neil being Neil. (laughs) Ain't that a cluster? Um, Yeah, so we're talking about community and the importance of it and how we can grow and nurture it. So how do I think Zach, Daddy Doc Zach, would view the importance of community? Time to put on my Zach hat. Time to do some glute bridges and some hip thrusts and make sure I have a big old glute pump going so I can look like him with all that donk and answer this question for you. What would Zach say? These aren't going to be his words, but maybe somewhat close to his ideas. I think for Zach, we're looking at community being really the foundation of society. Because without community, there would be no society. We look at community, it's something that we were evolutionarily created to have to support us and how we grow and how we interact with our world, how we interact with our communities, how we interact with everything around us. Like evolutionarily, community was created to support us and allow us to thrive and live together rather than apart. This is important because I think community really it underlies who we are as humans and more so it underlies who we are as spiritual beings as spiritual humans in the higher planes of consciousness we look at community and what does that really say it's all of us are one right this big unifying idea we are all one and within one we are all of us this is duality put into the sense of the word community. This is being a spiritual human. And it's aligning to this is how we begin to evolve as a collective, as a collective consciousness, as a group of human beings together. And that's why it's so important because if we deny ourselves this foundational part of ourselves, we can't evolve to the capacity that we're meant to be. So in that evolution, it's keeping this lens of framework of being community-based in our perspective and our approaches on life that allows us to grow as a people. To one of Zach's favorite ideas, we talk about mindfulness. To be able to do this, it requires mindfulness and awareness of not only ourselves, but more importantly, those around us. And we can begin to align ourselves to each other and each other to ourselves, which allows us to progress together as a whole. We begin to increase our own self-awareness that way too, and then that further allows us to progress and grow as a whole. And it's keeping this perspective of the greater whole and everything that's happening around us. That's what allows us to progress. That's what allows us to become more and more one and evolve in what that means and looks like. So there you go. 
that's my best attempt at putting myself into Zach's mind and his heart and soul and sharing his perspective on this with the world. And I don't think it's at all what he said. Because <laughs> when I try to do that, I'm usually very wrong about what he ends up saying. But I think he would agree that that's probably a very valid point that I made, but probably not his. <laughs> um, but here's mine. And funny enough, this actually could be coming out of Zach's mouth too, right? Because we are one and the same. Huh. We both love the idea of evolution. So I'm going to talk about it from that perspective a little bit too. Because evolutionarily, within our own well-being, we're meant to have community and that's what allows us to thrive. Right? We talked about it from a kind of different lens, but what I'm looking at is our own emotional well-being, our own sense of well-being as a human being and our own health and wellness. When we're deprived of community, we begin to t- deteriorate. We get anxious, we get depressed, we get all sorts of diseases, um, and it just doesn't work well for us. We don't thrive as individuals. We thrive as a whole. Um, you know, that's, that's our wiring <laughs> of how we're designed. But this leads to another question, right? What is community and where does it come from? For me, y'all know I love the heart and that's where I look at this. You know, we can look at what does it look like to be in a community? What happens? How does it function? All these things. But ultimately, you know, community is a place of togetherness and connection and wholeness. Shared a lot of what I said <laughs> within Zach's explanation, right? It's it's being one. What I view that is, is a shared heart. We can all share connections of the heart that unifies a group, that brings people together because love damn, this is, this was another uh, something Zach would speak to, but love is the highest expression of consciousness. It's the highest vibration that allows everything to thrive in the way that it was meant to. So I believe that communities need something that connects the hearts of those within them and that allows them to unify and come together. I always believe that is through shared expression what things within that community allows people to express their hearts and express their hearts together. And I think those are the things that will really pull people together and pull a community together, giving them something to really unify under, right? Something greater, something bigger than just them as individuals. What are we as a whole? And these acts of shared expression of sharing yourself, of finding some heartfelt connection allows us to move in that direction. Connection connection comes from moments of heartfelt expression and sharing what allows us to find love and in turn allowing others to find love through us and to be able to share that and allow that energy to expand together into something beautiful. It's a simple answer. And I'm pretty sure I said like the same one idea in 50 different sentences (laughs) in 50 different ways, but really it is that simple, right? Community is a group of people that come together, that share and live together in a way that is more than just the one. It is about the whole as one. So 
That's what I got to say. I'm really curious to listen back and hear what Zach had to say. Because I think he just dropped some bombs that I definitely would not have thought of. So hopefully this was interesting. It's going to be interesting for me to come back and listen to this. We love you. We'll be back together on this next episode. And we will drop some love together for y'all soon.